1: Thanks for tuning into another episode of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Lolita, also joined by Kyle. On the show with us today, we have Steve Bredden. Steve, I'm so glad we finally got you on here. How are you?
2: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
1: Good. Well, before we get into the interview, here's a little bit about Steve. Steve has invested in over 2,000 apartment units and has diverse real estate experience. He is also a real estate coach where he teaches how to invest in large multi-property properties for cash flow. Steve was introduced to passive investing via syndications in 2012 and never looked back. And that's something we definitely want to dive into today. So with that being said, Steve, could you please tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do?
2: Yeah. um, So I got to say it's a little surreal that I'm sitting here because um, I actually gave notice last week. And, uh, or I guess by the time this airs, I'll already be done with my day job. So um, I've been acting as a IT manager for 25 years in the biotech world, um, managing multi-million dollar projects and just being, you know, that, that typical corporate guy who goes to work every day with his long commute um, and eventually found real estate and started to um, sort of invest as my side hustle. Awesome
3: and congratulations, congratulations
2: on that. I know that's
3: a huge step. So uh yeah,
2: awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's crazy.
3: <laughs> Very cool. I'd love to follow up with you in a couple of months just to see how that transition goes. Cause you know, I I definitely went that through that like nine or ten months ago and it's it's definitely right. a transition to get into it. So
2: Yeah, maybe we need to talk offline a little bit about how I can <laughs> handle it.
3: <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right. So your bio mentions how you found a different way to invest after the 2008 financial crisis. Can you tell us more <coughs> about that? Maybe what happened in 2008 to you know help you find that? And then what are you doing differently?
2: Yeah. So, um, it, you know, in 08, you know, I had all my money literally tied up in my 401k and, and a small brokerage account as well. Uh, took whatever that was, 25, 30 percent whack. And so I started to have a bit of fear and uncertainty. I think I was about 40 years old then and wondering, you know, am I ever going to be able to retire at this point? Um, or if the market keeps behaving like this, right? Because it was also the 2001 crash or 2000, whatever that was. So I started to look around a bit about how can I diversify and not in the way that the, you know, the typical brokers or financial advisors tell you, but you know, looking into real estate, um, the real estate looked really appealing. I bought a Triplex. After, um, well, I should say I spent two, maybe even three years, just researching and trying to figure out, you know, what do I, what do I want to do, where do I want to invest, and how. And of course, I had some fear about that as well. Um, but eventually, bought that triplex, bought another one, and another one, and just kept going for two or three years, buying and got up to um, 16 units, and was self-managing, and it was all good. I could still manage my time with my uh, my three kids, uh, coaching their teams, soccer and, and hockey, and doing all that stuff um, while I was working a full-time job. Uh, but eventually it seemed like I couldn't really continue to scale because it would take over my life trying to manage that many units.
3: Okay. And so how did you learn about investing passively in syndications? Because I know you do invest passively and a little bit actively into it. And and what drew you to that model?
2: So, yeah, so it was really, again, looking at, you know, can I really scale what I'm doing? And I really liked what I was doing and I, and I love the fact that, Um, when I ran the numbers, I was thinking, you know, if I keep doing this at some point, I can actually retire early. So I went from thinking, I don't know if I can ever retire to maybe I can retire before I'm 50. Um, So I wanted to continue to invest, but I didn't like that sort of active management part. And a friend of mine introduced me to a syndicator uh, who was local here in in Boston. I invested with them once, uh, saw the returns were just as good as what I was making in my own properties, but I didn't really have to do anything other than vetting the the deal initially and the syndicator. Uh, so I found a few other folks to invest with and, and just started plowing all of my money into uh, syndications and getting that cash flow coming in to the point where I eventually replaced half of my uh, high-tech salary with um, syndication mailbox money.
3: Awesome. And so you've been investing in syndications now, is this eight or nine years now? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so you've had some good experience, I'm sure, with some ups and downs with certain syndications. So, what are some of the pros and cons of investing passively versus actively in your own properties?
2: Um, so, certainly the pros, <clears throat> which I mentioned, it's uh, you know it's, it's about the same returns for a heck of a lot less effort um, and, and hassle, right? No tenant calls, no dealing with uh, whatever you know maintenance issues you might have. Uh, so, it's literally mailbox money. It shows up either in my bank account or as a check in my mailbox all the time, right It's on a quarterly basis, but um, you know some of them are on a monthly basis, but it just keeps coming, whether I'm on vacation or whatever. so that's wonderful um, the uh, The cons of it is that you have to release control, and I'm definitely a little bit of a type a not not as much uh, these days, but uh, I'd like to have control, especially when it comes to money. Especially when I, you know, initially I had a bit more of a scarcity mentality about, you know, how do I hold on to this money and make sure that I can retire one day and all that sort of thing. Uh, so not having control over every aspect of it was a bit scary. Uh, but then, you know, once I invested in that first one and then see the results of it, um, releasing the control isn't such a bad thing. So while, while it was a con in terms of just, is it a right fit for you personally, if you like to have control? Um, I think in the end, it's uh, it's another pro because it's something that I don't have to use a lot of my headspace on.
3: Yeah, absolutely. How do you specifically vet your sponsors that you invest with?
2: Uh, first thing I do is run background checks and, um, you know, between that and, and getting, uh, your references, uh, to begin with, right. So usually it's a referral, uh, yeah you know, this is how I meet the person. It's either a referral. These days, I'm meeting them at conferences. and the deeper you get into multifamily, the more it's it it actually seems like a family. You kind of begin to know everybody in the space. So you know who the strong operators are, which guys are more willing to take a bit a bit more risk for higher returns, which ones are betting on appreciation versus cash flow. So you kind of figure out the the sort of people you want to work with, but then I'll run that background check. I'll get actual referrals. Um, I want to see, you know, prior deals that, you know, not just the, the package that they put together in terms of their pro forma, but I want to see how that deal is operating today. And then I want to compare that to the pro forma to make sure it's actually meeting those, um, those same projections, right? And then uh, lastly, you know, I'll get into their underwriting with them. So, you know, once I like the sponsor, I like the market that they're investing in, which is also a big, a big thing. Um, I want to look at their actual underwriting on a deal. And walk through in great detail um, exactly how they're underwriting. It. What are their assumptions around exit cap rates? What are their assumptions around how quickly they're going to grow rents? Uh, have those things been validated by a property management company? Um, you know, their renovation plans, all of those things. And, and again, after doing it for a while, um, it becomes a bit, a bit easier to, to um, recognize who's being too aggressive and, and who's, you know, who really knows what they're doing.
3: Yeah, no, I think you brought up a great point there where you're just, you want to make sure that even though they show you past deals, that they're performing to those deals, right? So you need to ask that question. If they're if they're saying, oh, we perform it at, or this deal was an 8% cash on cash, you know, 17 IRR, well, where are you compared to that? Because showing it on paper doesn't mean much. It's really about the performance of the property. And then going back to the background checks, how deep of a background check do you do because there's different levels of it right there's probably a very cheap version where you can get kind of high level information or you can really dig into the person how, how deep are you going here
2: um so initially i was using you know a couple of um, online tools that were that weren't very expensive uh but then i realized you know i'm personally investing quite a bit myself Eventually, I got into uh, being a GP, which uh, maybe we'll get into that as as my story progresses here. Uh, But as a GP, where I'm taking in other investors, right? So primarily friends and family when I started, right? My my mom, my father-in-law. I wanted to make darn sure that I'm doing a much deeper scan now. I want to know everything about this person, and so I uh, started to use a a tool called TLO. Uh, which goes pretty deep Um, but it's a you know it's a monthly service or or monthly subscription and you're paying for the actual uh, backgrounds itself Um, so but you do get what you pay for
3: okay and would you mind sharing about how much that costs
2: uh so it's been a while it just kind of comes it hits the credit card but uh it's uh, i think it was something like 30 dollars a month and uh, i don't know some nominal fee for for running the actual checks
3: that's how those subscription models work. You just forget how much
2: stuff costs exactly. and they keep rolling in. Yeah, That's but this, awesome. this is one I'm happy to, to keep rolling.
3: Yeah, okay, cool. Very good tip. So you stopped paying into your 401k about six years ago to focus on passive income now. So why did you make that decision and talk about how you made that decision?
2: Um, yeah, so I was looking at you know, once I started to get this idea that um, maybe I can actually retire early. Then I was looking at, okay, where are all my funds right now? They're all locked away in a 401k and in, in, in an old IRA. I was, I was literally maxing out all the time uh, for years, right? 20 years. And I thought to myself, if I want to use that money right now, I have to pay penalties. And so the government really wants you to keep these things locked up for, for later years, for when you're 65 or 67, I think is what the table shows for, for folks uh, my age. Um, so that was a long time away. And I decided I'm not I'm no longer going to play that game, because that's the deferred life plan, right, put a bunch of money in now defer life, defer having fun, you know, don't retire early, and then at 67, hopefully you have enough energy to to enjoy all that money that you saved. So I didn't want to do that anymore. So I started putting everything into cash flowing assets that cash flow now. Um, so I still did put um, the minimum amount, right? So my company match is five percent, I think. So I put that much in just to get the hundred percent return, because why wouldn't I do that? Right. But then everything else I put into real estate. I would just save as much as I could, um, and we leave. We try to live, you know, fairly frugally, um, and you know, a little less so these days. But we we really saved as much as we could. My wife was working, and and just put everything in the real estate. Again, that mailbox money it grew over time to the point where it replaced half of my income and, and gives me a lot more flexibility now to do what I want.
3: Okay. And so what advice would you give someone who's kind of struggling with that same decision to, to make that jump into getting, into, I guess, alternative investments versus throwing their money into a 401k. And like you said, I think the key word there is hoping that number one, you're healthy enough and hoping that that money is still there. I mean, it's not a guarantee, right? It's it's really, you're, you're hoping. My dad lost half of his money in 2008 and had to work another 10 years mm-hmm. because he wasn't expecting that. And so anything can happen. So what type of advice would you give that person?
2: Um, so if, for me, it's really trying to understand what is it that you want to achieve, right? If you're want, if you so risk averse that you just want to do what everyone else is doing, you want to stick to the deferred life plan, put money in the 401k because no one will ever fault you, right? So even the example of your dad, um, you know, probably nobody said to him, well, you shouldn't have invested in 401k, right? He just did the right thing. The market happened to, you know, screw up his plans. So he'll never be faulted for that. Um, so a lot of people just want to follow that path, but if you run the numbers, you look at all your different options and you realize that you want a different life. You want to basically retire earlier, right? So maybe not even early, just a little earlier. It doesn't have to be 30 years old or 40 years old. I'm retiring at 50, essentially. Um, I'll still work, but not in the corporate world. Uh, so just look at what do you want your life to be? If you want to follow that deferred life plan, that's fine. That That's a very clear cut path. If you want to take the path less, less taken, I, th- I think they say, um, you know, look at potentially investing in cash flow now. And by the way, you can use that cash flow. I'm using the cash flow to pay for my kids tuition, right? And, and not necessarily pay for my retirement, but over the past few years, it's been paying for other things. Um, but eventually, my kids move out, tuitions are gone. And now it's just all cash flow that I'm using to live on.
3: Okay. So how much extra time are you spending, let's just say on a weekly basis investing outside of your 401k versus when you were just, you know, putting it in your 401k? Obviously that took zero effort. How much extra effort are you kind of spending on a weekly basis?
2: Ooh, very little. I mean, it's it's like, you know, I'm on a few different syndicators lists. So once in a while I'll get an email. And uh, you know, I spend a little bit of, of time trying to understand what this deal is about. Do I like it? Uh, Maybe vetting a new syndicator, but I mean, it's probably not much more than I was with my 401k because in that 401k, I was, you know, on occasion doing a bit of market research, trying to stay up on the news, what's going on with the stock market. Um, You know, some Korean dictator is is blasting off a a missile and all of a sudden the stock market's going crazy, right? So now I got to watch the news and figure out what's going on. These days, I don't pay attention to the news at all. If the stock market's going wild up or down. It doesn't affect me at all. I don't even care. Um, Other than, you know, I I want to sound a little bit educated in conversations on the weekends with my friends. So I'll pay a little bit of attention, but I'm not really digging into it. So it does free up a lot of my time from that perspective.
3: Yeah, I I love that. I mean, everyone, I think a lot of people think that going into an alternative investment is going to take a lot of extra work. And maybe that's one of the reasons that you don't do it. Now you want to educate yourself, you want to understand it. So, yes, maybe upfront you want to take six months or even a year just you know every now and then educating yourself about it till you feel comfortable once you really get in there it really is not that much more work if any work at all so mm-hmm. okay so uh also uh we were talking about your extreme frugality trial can you right. talk about that trial and then how it also went over with your family
2: yeah so after reading um so you know it was rich dad poor dad got me into apartment investing that got me to thinking about maybe retiring early next thing i know I'm, I'm on the internet, finding the FIRE movement, uh, financially independent, retired early. Uh, So there's, you know, Mr. Money Mustache tells you uh, on his blog that you can retire, I think it was in 10 years, if you save half of your income. So no matter what your income is, or or what your age is. um, And I'm like, wow, these are some awesome, I mean, there's tons of websites out there and blogs about it, uh, and podcasts. So I really got into it and I started to think, well, I can cut my cable bill down and I can cut my data plan and I can you know, watch our expenses at home eating out and maybe my wife doesn't need those manicures and, and the hairstylist so often. You know, just started cutting everywhere. Um, I went way too far and I didn't bring my family along with me, right? So when I first started doing it, I was just like, hey, don't let the water run when you're brushing your teeth. You know, I'm just starting to bark orders at people. Um, so it it didn't go all that well, uh, you know, my, my kids revolted, they needed to have their cell phone. Um, every kid needs a cell phone in middle school these days. Oh, <laughs> I thought they could wait till high school, you know, what am I thinking? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, you know, it, it, was, it was a trial, it, I was already fairly frugal to begin with. So, um, you know, we did end up being a bit more frugal because of it, but I, it just wasn't for us to, uh, to cut expenses that much.
3: Yeah. So how long did you uh, do this trial for?
2: Uh, it was fairly short-lived. I think, you know, <laughs> give it a few months of of barking at people and then, you know, acting kind of in that scarcity mindset. And, um, you know, it was clear that it, I wasn't the most popular person ar- around. So I had okay. the
3: ship. Got it. So what'd you learn from the trial? If you had to do it again, how'd you approach it differently?
2: Uh, I definitely would not suggest that my wife get fewer um, haircuts or manicures. Um, <laughs> and, and she didn't even go overboard in the first place. So, uh, you know, it's important for her to to uh, look good, feel good. And she's a consultant as well. So, um, mm. so that's one thing. Um, but it's also, you know, you got to look at your situation, right? I have, I have three kids. They're in middle school. Everybody around us, right? We're in this consumer-driven uh, economy. Everyone around us has everything, or at least it appears that way. Um, so I didn't want to have that battle with my kids. So, um, you know, one thing, I guess, a lesson learned if you're going down that path, make sure you consider what the impact is with your family, bring them along, show them the you know, sort of your long term vision and why you're going down that path, because it's not easy
3: yeah alignment of goals is so important, and that's something the lead and I try and focus on because if you don't have an alignment of goals, it's very difficult to get to your end place so mm-hmm. good advice there okay, yeah. so oh, hey,
2: just one more thing on that actually mm-hmm. so I mentioned uh the Mr Money mustache blog about how you can you know, retire if you save fifty percent of your income. The other thing I realized uh through this experiment was that you know you could also increase your income by you know, 50, hundred percent and it's going to make a massive difference in your savings rate. So, um, that's actually the path that I chose.
3: Yeah, exactly. You don't have to, uh, cut, cut, cut to get there. And that kind of leads me to my next question is for those with an abundance mindset, I don't think they fully resonate with, you know, just cutting and saving. So why, why choose frugality over abundance, or it sounds like maybe you wouldn't anymore.
2: I, yeah, I wouldn't anymore at this point. Um, and again, it's totally a personal thing. Um, I don't have anything against frugality. I'm actually fairly frugal, um, and that's how we grew up. So um, I think you have to be frugal in order to save some money and then invest and eventually end up in a p- position that you want to be in life. Uh, hopefully, that's retiring early. Um, so frugality is important, uh, but extreme frugality, I think, you know, to me, uh, leads to saying things like we can't afford XYZ, right, whatever that thing might be. Um, so it feels too much like a scarcity mindset to me. Um, mm-hmm. Not that the two you can't—it's not that they can't coexist, um, frugality and abundance. Uh, but I just think for me, it was—it was too difficult to to keep both of those in my head at the same time. Um, so you know, and, and when you're thinking about abundance, it's all about how can I afford to do this or how can I afford to buy that, and you just think in you know in in terms of possibility. Mm -hmm. And to me, I'd much rather go down that path because then it opens up that kind of thinking in every aspect of your life.
3: Yeah, it's a mindset shift for sure. Okay, so Lolita is going to take us into our final four questions. Are you ready?
2: I am ready.
1: Are you seeking insights to grow a multifamily portfolio? If so, you need to check out the Target Market Insights podcast hosted by John Kasman. Each week, you will learn key multifamily and marketing tips from John and his accomplished experts learn how to find the best places to invest, attract investors, and influence brokers and sellers. Get the multifamily and marketing insights you need by subscribing to the Target Market Insights podcast or just go to targetmarketinsights.com. All right, here we go, Steve. What is the one tool you use in real estate investing that you cannot do without?
2: Uh, the, I, I think the tool for all of us is our minds. Right, and, and and not my mind specifically. You know, I don't have a particular you know superpower in my brain, but I think everybody's mind needs to be honed. You know, you got to sharpen that axe. You got to keep getting the education and and make sure that you're uh, staying fit. All those things lead to you being able to do wonderful things.
1: Great. Can you tell us a story about your biggest mistake in real estate investing so far, and the main takeaway for our listeners?
2: Uh, the biggest mistake would be not listening to those that came before me in this business. So, you know, specifically it, it was, uh, I bought a six unit, uh, multifamily. This was before syndication days, but, um, in a neighborhood that wasn't great. Everyone told me not to buy in, you know, the, the bad neighborhoods or, or the hood, um, flow looked awesome. And I said, you know, I'm going to take a chance on this one and, and maybe the neighborhood's going to improve. I did see some signs of that, uh, but I was wrong. And you know whether it's don't buy in the hood or you know don't buy just for appreciation or or all these other rules of thumb. Um, the takeaway for me is follow those guidelines. Right, there's so many people that have done this before. Those guidelines or those rules of thumb are there for a reason. Mm-hmm. And you know, don't try to think you're going to be smarter than all the other folks.
1: Great advice. Uh, what is it that you need to do now to grow your life to the next level?
2: So uh, now that I've left the job, and focusing now on syndication as a general partner. Um, So I've been trying to grow that business for about two years. Uh, So this is now going to give me time to really dive in um, full time, spending all my effort, all my focus on growing it. And uh, I think the one thing I could do um, that would best serve me is, again, surrounding myself with people that have been down this path, who are successful in syndication, and learning as much as I can from them.
1: Sounds good. And lastly, where can people find out more about you?
2: Uh, They can visit my website. Uh, So the company name is Velocity Capital and the website is velocitycap.com.
1: Perfect. Great stuff. And again, congrats on taking the huge leap and leaving your nine to five corporate job and pursuing real estate investing full time.
2: Thanks so much. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks Thanks for being on the show, Steve. And thanks everyone for tuning in.
0: Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Passive Income through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast, and to get access to today's show notes and to previous shows, visit limitless-estates.com. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to the podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in again next week for another episode.